covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. We welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. You can hear me uh, after Brewers games on 620 WTMJ with Brewers Extra Innings, the actual show. And then we do this uh, once a week, the podcast, where we get to go just a bit deeper on the Brewers, and that's always uh, that's always a lot of fun. We record this on Sunday night, so just remember that as you listen to the course of the program. We try to keep as much of the material as non-time specific as possible, so you can listen to it at least through the course of the week, but sometimes that's not always possible. So again, we are recording this on the night of Sunday, May 7th, and the Brewers just wrapped up a road trip where they go 3-3. Three and three they take two out of three against St. Louis in a series that was rain-shortened, originally supposed to be a four-game series, and then they lose two out of three to Pittsburgh. So they don't play quite as well on the road on this trip as they did in the last trip, but still a 500 road trip. Good teams will take 500 road trips. And would have you liked to have won two out of three in Pittsburgh or swept Pittsburgh? Obviously, yes. And weather just wreaked havoc on the entire trip from St. Louis where one game gets postponed and then getaway day gets pushed back from an afternoon game to a night game. So you have that. And then you have, um, in Pittsburgh, the first two games rain all the time, including a two-hour and 27-minute rain delay in the first game, which I I think the game changed after that two-hour and 27-minute rain delay. Jimmy Nelson was pitching really well through the first three innings he obviously can't come back after a delay that goes that long and the Brewers bats were just kind of quiet before they answer on Sunday and they're able to hit three home runs on Sunday to salvage a game of that series so it's easy to be a little bit frustrated that you lose two out of three to Pittsburgh I think there's a belief right now around this team that they can be clearly the number three team at least in the National League Central ahead of the Reds ahead of the Pirates maybe even contending with the Cardinals. Obviously, the Cubs, most people expect them to be the first-place team again in the National League Central. So that's why there can be some disappointment about losing two out of three to Pittsburgh. But I look at it, and I, I focus more on that first series against St. Louis and a series win against St. Louis. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. And the reason it's a big deal is because it hasn't happened in a pretty darn long time. Last time... The Brewers won a series against St. Louis was April of three years ago. It had been three-plus years since the Brewers had last taken a series. 17 series between the two teams during that time, and they go 0-15-2. So 15 series losses, and they split two series over the course of the last three-plus years. Now, we're judging this Brewers team upon making steps, upon getting better. And there's an there's accomplishments that they can have as they do move forward. And going and winning a series against St. Louis, that's an accomplishment. Say what you want about the Cardinals being a bit down this year. They've played a lot better since that, uh, since that series lost to the Brewers. And I, I think they're going to be a pretty good team when all is said and done, sitting right there. But they, but they win the series. The Brewers win the series against the Cardinals. And it's just a it's a monkey off the back or whatever cliche you want to use. It's a big deal that they were able to do it. And uh, glad to see that they do it now. They don't have that streak going anymore. 
On uh, Brewers Extra Innings on WTMJ, after uh, road wins, we generally uh, speak with some players uh, after the game. I want to run a few of the clips from folks uh, that we spoke with. We talked to Travis Shaw back on uh, Monday, May 1st, and that was after uh, the Brewers were able to pick up a win against St. Louis in the first game of the series, and it was obviously right after the month of April had come to an end. They won that game, so they were back above 500, and uh, Shaw made it pretty clear that the team's you know pleased with the way that they continue to play and maybe don't have the same opinion of themselves as people uh, outside of the team do. So I thought we had a pretty decent first month. We gave some games away. Uh, but the fact that we're over 500 right now in May is a, is a good sign for a young so-called rebuilding team, is what everybody wants to call it. But um, we just continue to grind it out every single night, and uh, the pitching picks up the offense sometimes, and the offense picks up the pitching, and that's what that's what you want as a complete team. Especially at that point in time, they were continuing to play really good on the road, having uh, just just putting together road win after road win after road win. Shaw wasn't able to completely explain why. I'm not really sure. Don't have an answer for that. It just seems like guys were playing well on the road. That's kind of when teams bond on the road home when you're at home guys kind of tend to do their own thing but uh, you're a lot closer on the road you're just you're at the hotel together and so far the road's been very friendly to us i spoke with keon broxton on uh thursday uh as they wrapped up that series against st louis now broxton in his first three at bats gets everything but a triple he had a single double and a home run he then has two at bats where a triple gets him the cycle I asked him if he was thinking in the back of his mind, deep down, if he was thinking about a triple during that period. I wouldn't say trying to. Whatever happens, happens. But I think I had two opportunities tonight to get the triple. A guy ended up diving for a single. That if, he would, if it would have got past him, I probably would have had to stop at third to, to get the cycle. <laughs> it all just worked out, man. I'm, I'm not really worried about a cycle or anything like that. Just trying to square balls up and do something for the team. Obviously, the the biggest thing this year with Keon Broxton, or maybe not the biggest thing, but uh, the most memorable thing, unfortunately, with Keon Broxton was that very scary moment when he was hit in the face with a ba- with a, with a baseball with a pitch uh, against the Colorado Rockies earlier this year. Asked him uh, how he's doing with that and if, uh, if if the face is okay, if he's all the way healed or not. It's still a little black and blue under the eyes, but there's no pain, not having trouble breathing or anything like that, but... Still a little black and blue. With that rain out in St. Louis, they called that game really early in the day. So the entire team got the complete day off. Unless you need to get treatment or something, you didn't step into the ballpark. So I asked Broxton, how do you spend a rainout day on the road? I just relax, man. I stay at the hotel, just watch some movies. It was, it was nasty outside. You don't want to be outside in that. So I just <laughs> watch some movies, play video games all, all day. Sunday, May 7th was the day that uh, the Brewers were able to salvage a game from uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates. You don't want to be swept by a divisional team. Not that you want to lose two out of three, but you especially do not want to get swept by a divisional team. And uh, Corey Knable, who's really pitching well this year, uh, he mentioned how great it was to be able to get that win to wrap up the series. Uh, it's huge. Um, of course, road win. Um, last game of this road stretch. Happy flight. Um, you know, it, it's a good little motivation booster, confidence to go into the off day, relax, have a good time, and get back to work on Tuesday. We've seen starting pitchers continue to perform better and better. 
In the Sunday game, Zach Davies threw more than five innings for the first time, going five and two-thirds innings, so he goes into the sixth. Uh, Matt Garza, the night before, goes the seven innings, allowing one run on eight hits. Uh, The night before, you just have to wonder what would have been with Jimmy Nelson because he does not give up a hit in his first three innings before the rain comes down. And Knable said that the starters going out there and – being able to pitch deep into the games certainly is helping the bullpen. Two days in a row, we had starters go deep. Uh, I think it's a big break for the bullpen. You know, our, our bullpen is well rested right now. Um, you know, it's been it's been really nice having that. And Jimmy would have done the same thing the first day if it wasn't for the rain delay. But um, you know, it's uh, it's been really good. The starters have been dominating. They've been doing their jobs. So the Brewers come off that road trip. They travel back to Milwaukee on Sunday night. Monday is an off day, and then they are back at it on Tuesday when they open up a homestand, starting with a three-game series against the Boston Red Sox. So Corey Knable, how is he going to spend his off day in Milwaukee on Monday? I don't know. My wife's finally back in Milwaukee. The dogs are there, so might just hang out and go... I don't know. Check out Milwaukee. I heard the weather's actually 60 degrees, so that's going to be pretty nice. Might actually hang out outside. Again, we talk with players all the time uh, after the game broadcast on 620 WTMJ. I uh, hope you'll uh, join us for Brewers Extra Innings. This is Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. That's just Brewers Extra Innings the show, the radio show. We're with you uh, after every single uh, Brewers broadcast with Bob Eucher and Jeff Levering and, and Lane Grindle, whatever assortment of those guys uh, you have. And then uh, we take over afterwards and uh, take phone calls and talk all things Brewers. So hope you'll join me uh, for the program over on the radio side of things. But, of course, very glad that you are uh, with us today. Here's what we have coming up on the program. We uh, have our social media conversation here in just, uh, just a few few moments and uh, we are going to be talking with uh, Tim Muma from Dairyland Express. He'll be joining us and then later on as we go down on the farm we'll once again welcome in the broadcaster for the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers that is Chris Marin. So that's uh, what's coming up next but before we get to that we got to do our headlines of the week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. All right, let's go through the headlines from this past week. Ryan Braun continues to be mostly out as uh, he's dealing with some issues. He's not able to throw the ball, so he hasn't been able to play in the field, and there's been some pain that goes along with that. He was last in the lineup for the Brewers uh, when they played against the Braves. That would have been what is last Sunday, uh, Sunday, April 30th. Uh, he they they sat him down for a couple days. He had a pinch hitting appearance and he tried to throw again. There was some pain there. They sent him back to Milwaukee for an MRI. The MRI showed a slight strain of the flexor muscle in the forearm, but that was it. And he's been uh, he's been available to pinch hit, but uh, his only pinch hitting appearance came in one game against St. Louis. He's been on the bench outside of that. They are hopeful that he'll be able to return to the lineup come Tuesday. We'll see if it uh, plays out that way or not, but he doesn't get a single start on the road. Uh, Junior Guerra is getting closer and closer to returning. Over the weekend, he threw a simulated game in Appleton uh, with the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, and uh, he probably has another, I believe he has another simulated game coming up while the Brewers are back at home. He'll do that at Miller Park. Uh, 
and then if that goes well, he'll head on a rehab assignment for two or three starts. He just needs to get stretched out where he will uh, have the rehab assignment. I, that hasn't been announced yet. I don't know if that's been figured out. It probably has something to do with uh, which affiliates are at home and, and things like that, so we'll just have to wait and see. But Junior Guerra could be back with the Brewers uh, within the next couple weeks or so. Uh, Tommy Malone was designated for assignment, and the Brewers were hoping that they would be able to get him into Colorado Springs where he could go back to being a starter as that's where he's got uh, more experience as being a starting pitcher but uh, he does not make it to Colorado Springs instead he was claimed by the New York Mets so Tommy Malone is no longer part of the Brewers organization and that is this week's headlines of the week after every Brewers game signing an announcement bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take now we bring them all together it's the social media roundtable and it starts now it is time for the social media conversation as we continue with brewers extra innings the podcast powered by wtmj mobile very happy to be able to welcome back onto the program he is a uh, writer for uh, dairyland express he is uh, tim muma you can follow him on twitter at tim underscore m-u-m-a tim appreciate you taking some time with us how are you doing today I'm doing great. Uh, pleasure's all mine, man. I really do appreciate you having me on. Hey, the uh, the team just finishes a three and three road trip, and the highlight of the three and three road trip is taking two out of three in St. Louis. First time they've taken a series from the Cardinals in better than three years. They were o fifteen and two in their last se- uh, seventeen series against St. Louis. Uh, is it? Is it okay to make a big deal of the fact that they take a series from St. Louis, or should we not make too much of one single series? I think it's fine to do it. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of people might have been surprised that it's been that long. Uh, even for myself, someone who follows them so closely, I knew they'd taken their lumps the last few years. But, you know, anyone who's played sports, there is a mental hurdle. I don't care what pro athletes say sometimes. Oh, we don't think about that. That's for you guys to talk about. There's definitely something there, especially when it's someone who's in your division. It's a rival. It's sort of, obviously, the Cubs have overtaken the you know, the number one spot, so to speak, in the NL Central, but it's a team that everybody's kind of shooting for and, and you want to emulate because of their success. So to be able to do that, especially in a, but it's still considered, obviously, rebuilding years, uh, I think that is a big part. And I think it gives the younger guys confidence. I think it gets that monkey off your back, and, and now you don't have to talk about it as much. You know, you can just go out there and play ball and a lot of times it comes down to little things with a team like the Cardinals. It seems like they get all the breaks, but it's also typically they do things well and they do the right thing. And I think in that series that we saw, the Brewers actually stepped up a little bit, made those plays, and took advantage of some of the mistakes that the Cardinals made. So I think obviously from a fan perspective, definitely go ahead and celebrate it. But even for the players in the front office and the coaching staff, I think you know on the side to each other, I think it's like, all right, thank goodness. You kind of got that off our backs a little bit now we can just go forward and keep this process that we have going you and i were two of the few people that uh write about this team talk about this team cover this team whatever it might be you and i were two of the few people that thought this team could flirt with 500 this year uh, as we speak on sunday night they're at 16 and 16 they finished the month of april as a 500 team obviously there's more baseball left to be played than has been played so far by a by a big margin but uh do you uh, what what's your takeaway on you know a 500 team through what 32 uh 32 games so far yeah, I think they are kind of what at least people like you and I, like you said, kind of thought they were. Uh, I think some were surprised by how well their offense has played 
in the early season. Uh, again, you and I had more optimism, I guess. And sometimes people are going to look at that as, oh, you're being a homer and, and you're just hoping it happens that way. Yeah, a little bit, I suppose. But um, I think it's been impressive in part that the offense, for the most part, has had to carry them completely. Uh, and as you and anyone else who knows uh, baseball, typically over the course of a season, it's the pitching that has to be consistent and get you those victories and take out those low-scoring games. But you know, the way the offense is designed and how dynamic it can be, even without Braun in the lineup, and I know they had their struggles in Pittsburgh those first two nights, but I think, uh, you know, kind of unfortunate circumstances hurt them in those couple of games. But, you know, up and down the lineup, they have those guys that can, you know, knock one out of the park or steal some bases, uh, you know, work some counts. Even though they have a lot of aggressive hitters, you got guys like, a, you know, Santana who's going to work counts for you. So I guess I'm still... I'm still positive. I'm still optimistic that this is something that can continue throughout the course of the season, in part because even some of the games they've lost, uh, you know, they've been right in them, had the lead, had some unfortunate circumstances with their bullpen or guys who just couldn't find the play or getting knocked around. It's going to happen, you know, especially against teams like the Cubs. But I think it's it's something where you and I saw a little bit of this positive momentum, especially from the offensive side of things. And if you can get that back in the bullpen, back to where they were, you know, a little bit earlier in the year, uh, if Davies, like he pitched today, uh, if he can continue to, to step up that way, I think it can be continued throughout the summer. It doesn't mean they're going to compete for a playoff spot, and at some point they could drop off. You know, stuff happens. But considering VR and Broxton especially haven't even contributed much, I think it's still a positive sign that they're at 500 and, and in the thick of things. They rely so much on their two, three, four hitters. Uh, mm-hmm. With with obviously uh, Thames and, and and Braun and, and Shaw, they also rely a ton on the home run ball. We'll get to home runs in a second, but are they do they rely too much right now on those two, three, four guys? I think if you look across the league, that's where you need the production. Uh, you know, everyone looks typically at the three, four, even five spot. I see that two holes being such a, an important piece of the puzzle, and Thames is obviously. I think even for the most optimistic of people, uh, you know, exceeded expectations so far. But you're right. At some point, they do need to get contributions from other people in the lineup, whether it's VR somehow turning around, or maybe you got to start putting somebody else in that leadoff spot. Because essentially, that's all you want. You want the top of your guy on base. I, I don't care if they're fast or slow or whatever. I mean, look at the couple they got Kyle Schwarber hitting first because you know, typical year he's going to be on base a lot. Uh, you're going to need guys like Boston, Arcia, um, the catchers. Obviously, they've actually done a good job of contributing. I don't think they complain about what Pena and uh, Bandy have done. But uh, over the course of the year, again, if the offense is going to be consistent, they need to have guys helping out because you're going to have times when Thames is a little cold, which, you know, he wasn't exactly trying to cover off the ball the last week and a half. Um, obviously, Braun with his injuries here or there, it's something they're going to have to find ways as far as creating runs, because home runs are obviously great, but on those nights you're not getting them or your middle-of-the-order guys aren't contributing, you have to find ways to put up runs, especially if the pitching staff you know, doesn't find its way into the top half of the league. Okay, so you started to get into it a little bit, but I'll, I'll ask you kind of the exact same question I just asked you, but change the end of it. Uh, right now, through uh, through the game on, on Sunday, uh, the team is sitting at 53 home runs. It's number one in the National League. The Washington Nationals mm-hmm. are uh, are second, but I think they're at 48, so they're still five behind the Brewers, which is, you know, it's a, it's a somewhat significant lead. I, I, I've, I've been meaning to do the math and try to figure, I'm sure somebody out there has it, I've been meaning to do the math and figure out 
what percent of the runs scored have been produced by home runs, but there are 155 runs, 53 home runs, so you know minimum a third, and obviously more than you know. There's some two and three run home runs in there as well. Is the team maybe relying on the home run a bit much right now to produce the runs? I can see where people have that argument, and I completely understand. And at times, yes, the home runs aren't going to be there, and, and you need to find ways to score otherwise. But simply look around the game, especially the last couple of years, you have record numbers of home runs. Uh, you have all the advanced statistics showing, uh, you know, things like StatCast, too, showing, you know, how you want the launch angle a certain way. And guys are looking to hit more fly balls. The idea of down and hard isn't necessarily a great strategy in the pros where those are typically out versus line drives and fly balls. So it's hard for me to really criticize any team who focuses on the home runs a lot. You still want your guys who are getting on base. Uh, so whether or not that's a base hit or a walk or you know, even a hit by pitch, some guys uh, are good at drawing those. Uh, but you got, again, your guy like Thames who has patience at the play, draws his walks. Even when he's not hitting home runs, he's getting on base for guys in theory of bronze in the lineup for Shaw. Uh, maybe for Santana, Pena, that kind of thing. So I think they have other elements there that can help them. And if need be, if a guy like VR and Broxton, if they're on base, and you know you saw it today, they can swipe some bases. They can go first to home on a, on a double that other guys might not be able to score on. So I think you know the potential is there for them to do that. But I, I don't think I'd ever really criticize the team for relying too much on home runs. That's just the way the game has turned into, especially you know strikeouts, walks, and home runs, and. For the Brewers, they have the strikeouts and home runs down, and with a few more walks, I think they're actually in a pretty good spot offensively. Through three games, Matt Garza has a 2.55 ERA. He's only given up five earned runs in 17 and two-thirds innings. Went seven innings the other night against Pittsburgh, one run on eight hits. He he gives up back-to-back doubles at one point without a run scoring. I don't know if I've ever seen that. <laughs> he gets out of a bases-loaded, no-out situation with Andrew McCutcheon at, at the plate. Are you... We've seen Garza have good moments and then fall back, so I don't want to get too optimistic about him quite yet, but are you mm-hmm. surprised at the, the numbers and the performance so far through through th- three games for Matt Garza? I guess it's a little surprising. You know, you never know in baseball. You can have these stretches where the best player in the league, the best pitcher, can look awful for whatever reason, and you could have a guy that's mediocre at best, and he can look like Cy Young. I think if you're the Brewers, you're extremely happy with what you're getting. I think you couldn't have expected too much more, not from Garza at his age, and considering some of the injuries the past couple of years and just the natural decline in a pitcher especially. Uh, if I'm the Brewers' front office, and I'm sure they're doing this, they're they're happy with what they're seeing. They want to see the production continue, but I think they'd make a move at the drop of a hat if anybody was going to give them a decent amount or eat some of that contract. Uh, not that they have to. They have plenty of payroll uh, flexibility there. Um, I, I wouldn't expect it to continue. I think there are a lot of things, even you alluded to there, that the ball bouncing the right way once in a while, uh, just catching some breaks, and pitching well. I mean, he's done he's done a nice job overall. Again, I think better than people would have expected. But if anyone really is out there thinking that uh, an Angie Garza is going to lock down the back end of the rotation, that's probably not the ideal way to go. And, and if I'm the Brewers... I enjoy it. Maybe by the time uh, Garrett gets back, then you can swing a deal because I don't think Garrett is going to the bullpen, and I don't think the success is going to keep up throughout most of the year. In one of your recent stories, and let me – I'm going to take a second to ask this question. So when when you think about the Milwaukee Brewers – 
You mm-hmm. think about a team that's very patient at the plate, that tries to draw walks, that tries to you know get runners aboard. We always hear about run creation, and you can't create runs without having runners aboard. I think last year maybe they were more patient than this year, but that's something that is part of the philosophy, part of the culture of, of a Craig Council and David Stearns-led team-slash-organization. So in one of your recent pieces, you mentioned the fact that when the Brewers' batters swing at the first pitch, they have an OPS at 644. That's 27,000 out of 30 major league teams. When they take the first pitch, the OPS jumps up to 851, which is the best in baseball. That is that fantastic numbers by you and that's 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 quite eye-opening. I I kind of just want you to go on this. Were you were you at all surprised? I mean, just based off this this feeling that the Brewers take a ton of pitches, were you at all surprised by these numbers that you uh, put together? I was a little bit like you said last year especially you saw the patience from the team. You could really tell kind of change philosophically, obviously, also when you get rid of guys like a Carlos Gomez, nothing against him. But, uh, you know, a free swinger like that, you're, you're going to see some of those numbers uh, improved from my point of, point of view. Uh, but it was a little surprising to see it this year, and really it all started because I was thinking about just VR and his struggles. And just in watching some of the games, man, it just seems like he's swinging a lot, and especially early in count. So, like, you know, you just kind of take a look and you go down the rabbit hole of baseball statistics because obviously there's so many and that could be a beautiful thing if you're kind of a nerd like I am. Uh, and it, it just showed that he's swing, he is swinging the bat a ton, especially at the first pitch. And then you, you kind of look at everyone else's numbers and the team stats and it's like, wow, I'm really surprised that they're swinging so much at the first pitch. But the funny thing was that they're not exactly putting the ball in play. So the stat you're you know, referencing as far as swinging at the first pitch or, or taking it, uh, those numbers relate to the hole at bat. So you may steal the first pitch and miss, and now you're down a one, and then what happens from, from there and out, even if it goes to a full count. Uh, but it, it, the striking part is, like I mentioned in that piece, is that when they take the first pitch, ballers strike, so they could still be down a one. Something about that at bat, at least from the statistics, show that it helps them in a way. And you know, I to the fact that when you swing and miss at the first pitch or fall it off, it gives the pitcher and the catcher an idea of what they might be doing or thinking. Uh, so my only thought possibly as far as the Brewers' strategy philosophy is maybe they thought, okay, last year we did take a lot of pitches. Maybe pitchers are starting to take advantage of that and try to just sneak a first-pitch fastball down the plate, so why not try to ambush it? The problem is it seems like they haven't done a whole lot of uh, positive ambushing with the exception of a guy like Braun, but he's obviously a step above everyone else still. Uh, so when when you look at it, you're right. They They do tend to take more pitches, I think, than the average team. You have some guys who take a lot of pitches, uh, but for whatever reason, they're swinging a lot at that first pitch, and maybe it's just early season stuff. Maybe it's the scouting reports and the pitchers they're facing. That's always the hard part with baseball is, you know, one month really still is a small sample size, and I would guess it's going to start to even out as the season goes on. When last year I thought one one thing that frustrated me about last year's team was – they were so good at taking pitches and getting aboard via walks, but then in the moment that they need to flip a switch and change their approach at the plate, it seemed like they had a hard time doing it. I can't, you know, there were so many times last year, runners aboard, one run game, tie game, seventh, eighth, ninth innings, and you had guys sitting there taking pitches and striking out looking as opposed to, you know, really swinging. And, and one of the toughest things in sports is changing what you're doing. So if you're practicing, if you're preaching patience and then all of a sudden you, you need to change and be a little bit more aggressive at times that's a lot easier said than done 
do you think they're maybe a little bit better in that this year? I mean, the fact they they don't seem to be taking quite as many pitches. Uh, is there are they being a bit more aggressive this year? And is that a good or a bad thing? It seems like they're trying to figure out. I don't know that I have the the right answer. I think your observations are, are spot on, and that's always going to be a complaint of of even your average baseball fan, especially the old you know run around third less than two outs. Put the ball in play, you know, just, just do anything to make the defense make a play. Uh, I think, again, it, it's really tough to judge, especially in the season, but I think the aggressive mentality with runners in scoring position would probably help them a little bit more often because they get themselves into bad counts, then you start chasing pitches, and to your point, uh, you know, you might take a borderline strike that, that then wipes out that rally. Uh, so, I think for a lot of the younger guys, especially, you're looking at a VR, a Brox, even though he's not young, but experience-wise, he's young. Santana, they're really trying to figure out that balance of when do I go after that first pitch. You know, base is loaded. There's the thought that, well, the pitcher doesn't want to fall behind, so I want to go after that first pitch, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's a slider, and you wave and miss, and you look like an idiot. So I think overall they're doing a pretty decent job this season of doing that. I think you've seen guys try to put the ball in play. Uh, but it is hard, as you said, to flip that switch. And if they're going to be patient in 75% of their at-bats, it might be hard to really say, okay, i got to swing, i got to swing. But it just gets you kind of out of your element. And, and, again, as the season goes on, I think you'll start to see hopefully a little change as far as being able to figure out what works, what works best for them. And, of course, all the scouting reports and the video that you watch um, and making those adjustments. Because I think pitchers – around the league and made adjustments to some of the Brewers' batters, and that's why you're seeing some of those struggles in certain situations. Uh, but I, I'm confident that the staff is looking at things and, and trying to find any ways to improve the team as they go forward. Jimmy Nelson has had an up-and-down season. His last time out was very good when he went three no-hit innings. That was before rain came down in Pittsburgh and there was the two-hour and 27-minute delay. You'd, you'd love to know what his night would have ended up looking like if he could have gone more than three, but the raw numbers, he was pretty good. Another one of your recent pieces, uh, you mentioned the fact that you don't think he should throw the sinker anymore or at least not throw it very often. Can you explain? Well, from what I was looking at, again, and I've always been a fan of Jimmy Nelson. I, I, I've been optimistic since, you know, the time he came up. And I know a lot of people were, and I just thought, you know, he has the stuff. So I'm looking at it, what, what is the problem here? And, and you mentioned the sinker, and that's his pitch. That's the pitch he's thrown more than any pitch in his career. It's his primary pitch, uh, and, and that's what makes him, in theory, a ground ball pitcher. But in looking from those numbers again, and, and a lot of my pull from fan graphs for people who, who might know about the, the website, uh, hitters, for whatever reason, are able to jump on that sinker. And it might be a fact that he can't command it as well. He's leaving it out over the middle of the plate. He's leaving it up, which essentially makes it extremely hittable. You know, you're trying to throw a ball down and into a righty. You leave it in the middle of the plate. And you know, there was an example earlier this year where Matt Kemp crushed the ball to right center. Um, so my thinking was, okay, you're not being – successful really with what you've been doing you've hit this plateau you're kind of running out of time in the organization in my opinion do something different try to change it up his other pitches especially the slider and that little curve that he throws it's hitters have had trouble with that i mean they're hitting well over 300 against a sinker and these other pitches are below 300 and that might be simplifying it and it, to your point with the hit changing your velocity changing what you do can be extremely tough but I just feel like, man, if you want to try to find that next level, take the next step, 
that might be something you do. And you might even have just a little bit of success because it messes with the scouting reports. And then you go from there, and you have some confidence. Now you throw it a little bit more, a little bit less. Uh, and who knows if it would work. To your point, it really was unfortunate what happened in Pittsburgh and to see what he was going with that. There's only three innings, but I did notice he, he threw fewer sinkers. Now, yeah, again, maybe he pitches six innings and he throws the same amount he normally does. But I would just like to see more major leaders who are kind of in that middle ground. Make some, not necessarily major adjustments, but make some changes in what you do. I always think of a guy like Calvert, and he changes his stance a year, sometimes within the same year. And if a guy like that is going to make a change, I think someone who is struggling and not getting to the level people expected, change it up a little bit. Well, what could it hurt, really? We're talking with uh, Tim Miuma from Dairyland Express. Well, we're going to probably see Junior Guerra back with the big club uh, in the next couple weeks. He threw a side session in Appleton. He's going to throw another, or I guess a simulated game would be the better way to say. He's threw a simulated game in Appleton. I think he's expected to do the same uh, at Miller Park this week, and then he's going to go out for a rehab assignment that may last two or three games. To me, and you can disagree with this, that's fine. To me, uh, Willie Peralta, Zach Davies, Matt Garza are safe in the rotation, and that's in no particular order. It probably comes down to, to Chase Anderson or Jimmy Nelson who might lose their spot. I guess, A, do you agree with that uh, that general statement? And B, if it does come down to Anderson versus Nelson, there's still time between now and then, but as we sit right now, who would you expect it to be? Boy, that is a tough question. Uh, <laughs> the beauty of baseball is I, I have a feeling somehow it'll work its way out by the time Garrett comes back, but I don't want to skirt the question by any means. Uh, here's the way I would look at it. I'm not sold on Peralta, and I think his stuff fits best in a bullpen. I mean, just you know, he throws hard. He struggles against lefties. I feel like he could do a lot of damage in the pen. Uh, and I, I fear some of his success early season is a little bit uh, smoke and mirrors, a little bit of luck, that kind of thing. Um, but he has had some success. Between Nelson and Anderson, you know, before the season started, I would have predicted Anderson was going to be the bullpen. It seemed like he might have been if Garza wasn't hurt. And then, of course, he comes out and, and throws the ball really well. I, it's tough to predict. I, I would say at this point, I would be more comfortable, and I would think the Bruce would be more comfortable moving Anderson to the bullpen. And, and part of it is a mental thing. I feel like Chase Anderson has a good head on his shoulders. He has the right mentality. He, you know, he kind of goes with the flow. Nelson, I feel like you get a little bit of defensiveness from him. Uh, you saw that. I think a little bit or heard that last week. I think there were some questions from the media about changing his approach, and he's like, "Oh, what am I going to do? Throw more balls on purpose?" Yeah. It just seemed like he kind of took offense to that for some reason. And not that you want to reward the, the kid who's, who's acting out by giving him a stop, but I just had this feeling you throw him in the pen and it's just going to be lights out for him as far as the negative side of like felt like it, it's over for him. Um, so I guess that's the route I would go if I were the Brewers. But if I had to put my, I don't know, if I had to put my reputation on it, I would, I would likely move for all to the pen simply mm-hmm. because I don't know that his success as a starter right now has been something that he's going to be able to keep up. Uh, but in the end, I, I'm sure the Brewers have a plan, and if uh, all of them are there, they could even do something like a six-man rotation if they think it fits for them. That's interesting. A, a couple responses to that. First off, could you know there were some rumors in spring training about Willie Peralta being eyed by the Texas Rangers, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden it seems like the the starting rotation market is really starting to open up in baseball. It might be it might be opening up uh, a month or two earlier than it normally does. 
would it be would it be good for the Brewers to maybe leave Peralta in the rotation just with the idea that he's worth more to other teams as a starter? I think yeah, that's a great thought, and uh, and you bring up a terrific point as far as the starting pitchers that have gone down um, in Texas included. Uh, that that could be something where they look to showcase him and then try to get a few more quality starts because he is going to draw more interest in general than a Matt Garza, uh, like we talked about earlier, uh, because he has a potential. He throws hard. He's still at least relatively young. So that's a good point, uh, and that's the that's the beauty of it, I guess, is we don't know what's going through Stern's head or or anyone else in the front office or even the coaching staff. Uh, they have in their mind a long term plan. Uh, you know, even I think. Even people like you and I who understand the plan and are more for it, you get excited about seeing this early success, and, and you kind of want to keep that going. But uh, that's why the Brewers organization, they need to keep it focused on the long term. So if, to your point, Peralta's pitching well, he's drawing some interest, you keep him in the rotation, and you can flip him for something that you see as a positive in a year or two, maybe that's the route to go. So I wouldn't be surprised, I guess, if, if the Brewers had that in mind, but I think that's a great point you bring up. All right, second response. If it's Chase Anderson, I'm comfortable putting him in the bullpen. If it's Jimmy Nelson who gets knocked out, I'm not comfortable putting him in the bullpen. <laughs> I would actually send him down. I don't know if it's Colorado Springs or Biloxi, but I, I would mm-hmm. send him down so he could continue to be a starter in the minor leagues. I guess very simply, agree or disagree with that general uh, statement about those two guys if they lose their spot in the rotation. I personally wouldn't have a problem with it. I think, again, it comes down to the mental side and how the Brewers would want to handle that. Um, I, I agree. I don't know that Nelson fits well in a bullpen, and I don't know how he'd react to that either. You know, there's, there's been precedent for it. The Brewers have sent down Hardy, obviously, as a while ago. Uh, but, uh, you know, Cliff Lee, who ended up being a Cy Young winner after being sent down to the minors. So it all depends on the player a lot of times and if they think he can handle it. And, and, and I don't think you ever want to treat anyone with kick gloves, not professionals. Uh, it seems like, from what you hear and what you read, that maybe some guys are a little more sensitive nowadays or maybe front offices just pay more attention to that. But if they think that's the right move for the organization, I think they have to do it. They have, you have a conversation with them and say, this is what we think is best for you and the organization, and then it's up to him to decide you know, how he handles it. I think that's the difference, again, with someone like Chase Anderson, and I don't know him personally, but just from the things you see and read and how he puts his work in, I think he can handle whatever situation, um, which sometimes makes you the odd person out. So I'm not against it. He has an option left as far as Jimmy Nelson goes. Uh, If that's what they think the best move is and they think they can help him and they can convince him it's, it's a positive for him, I'd say go for it because in the end, it's in my view, it's about the team and about the organization and every player, you know, either you're going to be a part of the team or you're going to be a sport. Not to put you on the spot, but to put you on the spot, are are you working on anything right now that's going to be uh, coming up soon over at uh, Dairyland Express? Uh, nothing necessarily specific. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to look at some of the pitching stuff because I think most of the offense has been covered, and, and obviously it's, in a way, more fun to cover the offense. There's a lot of statistics that I think are more easily understandable than some of the pitching stuff. Uh, but I, I'm just trying to look for those little nuggets. You know, I appreciate you mentioning the the article on uh, the Brewers' patience or lack thereof when it comes to the first pitches and and how that can affect things. Um, because I think you know, again, people like you and and 620 and everything, you guys do a great job of covering the day to day and obviously what's going on with each game and you have your post games and that kind of stuff. Um, I can't necessarily do that for everyone, so I try to help find 
uh, maybe the game behind the game and, and some of the statistics and, and hopefully try to educate a little bit. I mean, I, I'm still learning, and I, I followed, played, coached baseball since I, longer than I can remember. So um, nothing in particular, but I'm always taking requests. If somebody has a question about something or, or they want me to look into something, I'm more than happy to do that. So, um, you know, hit me up on Twitter or, or find a way to get in touch with me, and I have no problem with that. Make sure to follow Tim on Twitter. The uh, handle is at Tim underscore M-U-M-A. Read him as well over at uh, Dairyland Express. Tim, always uh, always fun to talk to you for a while about the Brewers, and uh, we'll do this again here in a month or so. That would be awesome, man. I really do appreciate it. Love talking Brewers, and uh, hopefully they can keep this up. It'll give us uh, a lot more fun things to talk about during the summer. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, does roll on. Very happy as we go down on the farm to uh, welcome in uh, the longtime, very talented broadcaster of the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, that is uh, Chris Marine. Chris, appreciate you taking some time with us. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Matt. The uh, team is uh, there. There's a lot of good prospects on this team this year. They've been a lot of fun to watch. From a win-loss perspective, team struggling a little bit, having lost uh, three in a row and four of the last five. There's been some close games in there. A three-two loss on Sunday, a ten-inning two-run loss on Saturday. As the team continues to come together in the first month or so of the season, what do they need to do to maybe take that next step and turn some of those losses into wins? Well, I think they, they need to. They've uh, got to have a little better job on the on the tail end, uh, closing out games. Uh, the the five four win on Thursday, they actually had a three run lead in the ninth, and uh, Bowling Green came back to tie it, but uh, they won it in extra innings. And then the team had a lead going to the top of the ninth on Saturday by a run, thanks to a, a two out two run double by Ronnie Gideon in the bottom of the eighth, but. Uh, Again, they gave up the tying run in the uh, the ninth inning, and then gave up the winning runs in the tenth. Um, just need to take a little bit better care of the baseball, um, throw some strikes. Uh, you know, just the the random stuff or the the stuff that everybody says you need to do to win games. Early on in the season, actually about a week ago or so, uh, you guys were in my former home of Burlington, and you play the first game of the series. Second game gets rained out, doubleheader for the third day. Both those games get rained out, doubleheader on the final day. Both those games get rained out. When you're sitting in a city on the road for, for three consecutive days without playing a single game, what does that do to a club? Well, um, the, the team did over the the uh, field every day, so they were getting work in. Uh, it's just like a little habit with me of pitching every day. There are some guys that are supposed to pitch, but I mean, it was like 10 days between outings for them. So, like, everybody was able to get that work in. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, Burlington, uh, it's, it's the smallest market in the Midwest, in the Midwest League and all of uh, minor league baseball and all full season teams, but they have a great indoor facility. Um, team was able to use that. There were times where it wasn't raining that bad, and the pitchers were able to go out and get their throwing programs in and get outside and do some stuff like that. So, I mean, the only thing that, that hurt the development for those three days was actually not playing the games. But uh, everybody got their work in. Um, some of the guys did some money in the casinos, and a lot of guys had fun in the arcade over there. 
Let's uh, let's talk about some of the individuals, go through some of the prospects that are on the team. Uh, been a bit of a slow start at the plate for uh, Gilbert Lara. He doesn't have a hit in his last uh, four games. He's hitting down at uh, at 130. What's going on with him right now? He's, uh, he's chasing a lot of pitchers right now and, and trying to do a little bit too much, it seems like. Um, he's he's um, not getting deep in accounts. Uh, he tends to uh, swing and miss at a lot of off-speed stuff, which you expect from a lot of uh, younger hitters. Um, his defense, though, um, he did commit an error on Sunday, but his defense has been as advertised. He's, he's made some really nice plays out there at shortstop this season. Plus, the Rattlers are mixing him in at third base, uh, trying to get that versatility going with the uh, with the prospects. So, I think Gilbert's going to come around. Um, he just seems to be getting a little frustrated right now, but uh, I think it's, it's going to start clicking eventually with him. We talked about uh, Monte Harrison in our last conversation right before uh, the season got underway. Seems like so far, so good for him. Uh, co-lead uh, in home runs with uh, with six. Maybe you'd like a little bit more from the batting average, but uh, overall, what's been your takeaway on what Monte Harrison's been able to do? What a difference a year makes with him. He was down in Florida this past offseason working out with uh, some, some professionals from from professional athletes and with a, with a trainer that, that has a lot of professional athletes, uh, professional baseball players. When I talked to him, he mentioned he talked hitting with Ryan Braun, you know, picking brains of the major leaguers. He is not chasing, um, the, he's not chasing pitches in the dirt. He's taking walks this year. Um, and he, when he gets fastballs, he doesn't miss them. Um, he is, he's showing off power and plus he's, showing off speed. I mean, he may not have a lot of stolen bases right now, but he's taking extra bases when they're there. And his defense is just, I mean, it's its all coming together for Monte Harrison this year. And that's thats fun to see because I know that he is a better player than his stats from his first two years in the Midwest League have shown. And uh, he's, he's going to be he's, he's just coming right around the way everybody thought that he would. You mentioned him talking with Ryan Braun and getting some advice there. These these lower guys, whether it's in spring training, whether they happen to be uh, working out at the same facility during the course of the off season, how many of these guys do uh, get an opportunity to to pick the brains of, of of big league kind of guys as they go through the course of their year? Well, I mean, in spring training, they get a lot, but there are guys. Uh, for example, Jordan Desmond. He went to Florida Gulf Coast University a couple of years after Jacob Barnes, and they, they were in spring training together. And when I talked to Jordan about, you know, being with, you know, if he had gotten a chance to meet or talk with Jacob Barnes, and all goes, yeah, you know, Jacob said that uh, if you never never need anything, just give me a call and we can talk about it. So I mean, there is that, you know, there's the competition. But there's also the the camaraderie and, and the fraternity going where everybody wants to see everybody succeed, especially if they know them really well. And I think whenever there's you know whenever we've had a rehab in you know um, you know we had Mac Garza in and Clinton, and I know a lot of the pitchers just kind of watched how he went about his business and were asking him things, and and that's happened with you know hitters in the past, Domingo Santana last year and Aramis Ramirez a couple of years before that. Everybody wants to get to the big leagues, and they want to hear from guys that have been there. And, and it's, a, it's a great resource to have for players at this level. 
Mario Feliciano is a really exciting catching prospect, and while Jacob Nottingham is you know ahead of him on the on the scale of uh, you know the progression, uh, some people don't think Nottingham's going to end up as a catcher at the big league level. Feliciano seems to be on pace to do that. Uh, let's not even talk about his hitting; he's doing fine from that perspective. But what has uh, what has Feliciano done behind the plate that's maybe impressed you? The way. I mean, you say that he's 18 years old, and you see that he's 18 years old, and you look at him on the on the bus or in the in the clubhouse or on the field, and he looks like he's 18 or maybe younger than that. But the way that he carries himself on the field, and the way that he um, you know he blocks pitches, and he just does everything behind the plate, I, I think the Brewers really got something special in in Mario Feliciano. And when I talked to Matt Erickson about him at spring training, he's like going, he's the best young pitcher, catcher that I've seen come through here in a long time. And that's, you know, Matty's been a, you know, he's been on the staff since 2009 um, in the Brewers minor league organization. And that's, you know, there've been some catchers that have come through that have, you know, kind of, they've, they've thought that they would have some possibilities, but everybody is just so high on, on Mario Feliciano. Charlie Green, the farm coordinator or field coordinator was just in, um, he worked with uh, he worked with Feliciano every day that he was in, and, and just, just everybody just loves Mario Feliciano, and, and they should because if anybody gets a chance to come up and see him play, you're not going to think he's 18 years old. Hmm. Uh, I'm looking right now at the day by day for uh, Demi uh, Oramaloy, and he he had an eight game hit streak at at one point, kind of has slumped after that. He's now he has hits in three of his last four games. Is this a guy who's maybe still learning how to how to play play the game at the everyday level? Because it does seem like there's so many ups and downs with him. Uh, definitely. I mean, there he's there are days when he looks like he could be um, a couple of levels ahead of us, and then there are days where he looks like he does not belong at the Midwest League level. Then that's not, I mean, he has got the talent. Um, I mean, he had a, a couple of three strikeout games where he never came close to the ball and had some bad reads on some balls in the outfield. But then the next day he comes back and he hits, you know, he hits a ball over 100 miles an hour on exit velocity out of the stadium, you know, and and the way that he's got so much speed and he's got good reads on the bases. He had a three stolen base game the other day, I think, back on the, back on the first day of the homestand against Bowling Green. And his he said he probably could have had another one or two, but his speed disrupted the catcher so bad that the catcher like overthrew some the, the throw to second and he wound up having to go to third on a, an air instead of stealing the base a couple of pitches later. So, But just a, a great kid. Um, willing to learn, willing to do what it takes and get into the routine. And, I mean, he's got six home runs and, and hitting the ball hard. I mean, he had an RBI double on Sunday. And I, I really like the, the ceiling for, for Demi Ormelay. We're talking right now with uh, Chris Marion, the broadcaster, the voice of the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, the low-A affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers, talking about some of the top prospects who are uh, currently playing for the T-Rats. Trey Supak, uh, right-handed pitcher, so far so good, 2.59 uh, ERA. Uh, his numbers look great. What what have impressed you so far about him? Just the, the overall preparation that he did this offseason. Um, in talking with Trey about it and in talking with Rick Tomlin, the minor league pitching coordinator, and talking with Steve Klein, the, uh, the 
pitching coach for the Timber Rattlers, they all said that Trey came in in the best shape. I mean, he was so healthy this year. Last year, at this time, he was still down at extended spring training because he had a little bit of a, a setback. He, he didn't come into camp in great shape, but he, he worked out at Texas A&M. Uh, he's from Texas, uh, kind of works out there a couple of days, worked out at home a couple of days. He said he did a lot of interval training, a lot of stuff that gets you ready for, for baseball. And he, he's just hitting the strike zone and he's hitting his spots and his, his fastball is so good with some great movement. He's, you know, he's just doing so well. I know the wins and losses aren't there for him right now, but you look at, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but I mean, he had, he had a nine strikeout game the other day. Uh, his strikeout to walk ratio is really good. And uh, just just the overall efficiency that he goes out every day and gives the team a chance to win. Uh, I think the Brewers, you know, everybody talks about Keon Broxton for Jason Rogers, and they kind of forget that Trey Supak was in that deal. And they're going to remember Trey Supak was part of that deal with, as well as Keon Broxton in a couple of years, I think. 31 strikeouts, six walks. That's not bad. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Ronnie Gideon had a ton of power last year at short season. Hasn't shown that power quite this year. And look, at it, it's a jump going from short season ball to, to, to full season ball. And when it's cold, when the season gets started, it, it's not easy to hit. And, and this isn't anything odd that we're seeing a guy maybe it take a little while for the, for the power to come. But uh, what's got to happen with for with Gideon? Or do you, do you expect to see that power at some point with him? I, I do think the power is going to get there. I mean, he's he had a he had a triple the other day. It was his first triple since he fought high school. He's got uh, five or six doubles right now, and uh, I mean, he's he's going to start hitting because he is hitting the ball um, extremely hard. Um, he hit a ball. Um, we have uh, on on some pitches we get exit velocity. He hit a, he hit like a, a ground ball to third at 105 miles an hour. So, I mean, he's going to get there. Um, the weather's going to start warming up. And plus, I mean, the, the ballpark in Helena is its an American Legion field with the fences aren't as – they're a little shorter than they are in the Midwest League, too. <laughs> so he's going to – sometimes that, that skews the stats a little bit. But I think, uh, I think once it gets going, He's going to get going too, and he's not frustrated that he hasn't homered in the first month of the season either. And I think that's the key thing. I mean, we have had guys come up and go, "Gosh, I'm not, I'm not hitting any home runs. Am I ever going to hit one?" But then, you know, they, they, it starts to get into their head. But Ronnie is is such a he's such a good hitter. His dad is a coach in the Rockies organization on the Rockies major league staff, and you can tell that Ronnie Gideon is a coach's kid and knows the ups and downs of the game of baseball. So when the home runs come, I have a feeling they might start coming in bunches. I believe Trey Supak is the only top 30 prospect uh, on the team in terms of uh, a pitching prospect. It, do the Brewers, do with with the cold weather in the Midwest League, do the Brewers tend to maybe send some of the, the pitching prospects Wisconsin's way a little bit later as the season goes along? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, we had, uh, we had Jimmy Nelson and... Tyler Thornburg and Kyle Heckethorn all on the same staff in 2011 right from the start. So, I mean, um, the Brewers send the, the pitchers where they got to go, um, where they think they fit, um, regardless of the weather. I mean, 
it, Miller Park may have a roof on it, but they do play road games in Chicago and, you know, um, Pittsburgh and New York where it's cold in, in April and May. So guys have got to learn how to pitch in, in all sorts of conditions. And, you know, they, they do keep an in it, uh, they do keep, keep an eye on the pitch count and their innings limits and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's not like a guy is going to go out and throw 120 pitches in a, you know, in seven innings or sort of complete game. Um, when it's 40 degrees outside. We've heard, that, and no official word has been given to us yet in terms of when uh, Junior Guerra might start a game for the Timber Rattlers, but I know he's been uh, down there. I think there was, a, there was a simulated game. Have you heard anything in terms of maybe how that simulated game went for Junior Guerra? I, I heard that he, he pitched really well. Um, he did uh, 25 pitches, went and sat down for a while. We have Zach Brown, who was a draft pick last year out of the University of Kentucky. He's been down since opening day. Uh, he threw 25 pitches, and then he went and sat down. And then Junior Gar got up, and he threw 20 and sat down. And then Zach Brown came up, and he threw. And and everybody from all in from all reports, uh, Gara looked great. Uh, so did Zach. Um, I was reading uh, Todd Rosiak today on Twitter, and he said that uh, Gara is going to probably pitch again at Miller Park on Wednesday um, in a live BP. And then Craig Council said it was going to be two minor league games. We don't know where that's going to be. Um, the Rattlers go on the road. We're going to be in Fort Wayne and uh, Lake County for the next week, and then we're off on Mother's Day, but we're going to be home next week. So, I mean, if it fits, if it fits and it works out, um, we might see him in a in a Timber Rattler uniform next year, next week. How much of a of a bump from like from an attendance standpoint and a and a buzz standpoint do you guys get uh, when you do have uh, you know you had Matt Garza recently if Junior Guerra were to pitch uh, do you guys see it at the box office when those guys are uh, are, are appearing for the Timber Rattlers? We do. Um, I remember my first year as an affiliate was 2009 and uh, we had uh, uh, it was announced that Dave Bush was going to rehab for us during the game and we hadn't heard anything about it and all of a sudden our phone just started ringing asking our ticket director you know um i hear you know people start calling in to ask for tickets for the next game game he couldn't understand why the ticket office was going crazy at like 8 30 at night but then it turns out that it was dave bush coming in to uh to do a rehab and everybody wanted to come up and see it so i mean we we do get a we do get a, a pretty nice little jump whenever people want to come out and see him so but you know sometimes they they appear on on like fireworks nights or i mean i know last year we had mike garzan on a star wars night and that was a pretty good sellout even before we had him so it it helps though every little bit helps the team uh, hits the road for Fort Wayne and Lake County from uh, Monday the 8th through Saturday the 13th, back at home Monday the 15th for a good long homestand going all the way through uh, Sunday the 21st. For people who maybe want to come up to Appleton for that homestand, uh, I- I'm putting you on the spot here. I don't, you may not have the promotional calendar in front of you, but uh, anything of note going on uh, there between the 15th and the 21st? Um, well, uh, our first fireworks nights are going to be on the Friday and Saturday night, the uh, the 19th and the 20th. Uh, the 21st is going to be a Brewer Sunday. That's the day that we wear our new Brewer Sunday jerseys. They're based on the old 1992 uh, BP tops. Um, we're going to have the Mario Feliciano Magnet Schedule giveaway, the first one of the season. That's the first in a series of four. That's on the uh, Monday. And then on the Wednesday is the Monte Harrison uh, player poster giveaway, and that's the first in series of 10. So 
a lot of stuff coming up on the next homestand. Awesome. We encourage people to uh, check out the website, uh, timberrattlers.com. Follow you, Chris, uh, on Twitter, uh, at C. Maring. Uh, you've got the blog. You're involved with the podcast. and you, you and uh, Kyle Loebner do stuff. So uh, you're just all over the place. Thank you so much for, uh, for finding some time for, uh, for this podcast as well. All right, great. Thanks a lot, Matt. You take care. That's Chris Marion, the longtime voice of the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. We appreciate him taking some time with us today to uh, get us updated on some of the prospects for the Brewers that are currently playing with the Timber Rattlers in Appleton. As we start to wrap up the program, let's look ahead at the week that will be uh, for the Brewers. They have an off day on Monday, May 8th, and then they begin an interleague series against the Boston Red Sox starting on Tuesday. Pitching matchups for the series against Boston as it sits on Sunday night. Willie Peralta will get the start on Tuesday against Drew Pomerantz. Then on Wednesday, it'll be Chase Anderson against Kyle Kendrick. Jimmy Nelson will start on Thursday and he'll be opposed by Eduardo Rodriguez. 6.40 first pitch on Tuesday of that series. That means coverage will begin at 6.05 on 6.20 WTMJ and across the Brewers radio network. And uh, 7.10 for the start time on Wednesday. That means a 6.35 broadcast. Uh, They'll play day game on Thursday, followed by a 7 o'clock game or 7.10 on Friday, 6.10 on Saturday, and the 1.10 start on Sunday, Mother's Day. All right, that's going to do it for the program. Thanks so much for being tuned in. Again, if you ever want to give any feedback, whether you want to comment on something that we talked about or you just have a general uh, comment about the podcast, always take them uh, on uh, Twitter, at MattPaulyRadio, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y Radio. Appreciate any follows uh, as well. And uh, you can email me as well if you'd like, matt.pauly at wtmj.com. My thanks to uh, Tim Muma from Dairyland Express. My thanks to Chris Maring from the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. We'll talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.